SequelCast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Any of you that have ever felt stepped on, left out, picked on, put down, whether you think you're a nerd or not, why don't you just come down here and join us, okay? After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. This time we're looking at the Revenge of the Nerds series with the original um, 1984 film directed by Jeff Canoe, starring Robert Carradine, Anthony Edwards, and Ted McGinley. Um, with a story by Tim Medcalf, Miguel Tejada Flores, Steve Zacharias, and Jeff Bahai, based off a screenplay by uh, Steve Zacharias, Jeff Bahai. This, uh, according to the internet, this had a budget of around $8 million and had a box office of $60 million. So even though Fox hated this movie and wanted to do a version of it dumped to TV and, and you know wanted to barely release this, this was one of their big hits in 84. Uh, I'm Matt. With me is Alex. The only thing these nerds didn't study was consent. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah there's a lot to talk about. Um, and Thrasher. They've been laughed at, picked on, and put down. But now it's time for the odd to get even. I like you did that read, uh, Thrasher, because if, if you go back to the original trailer for this, uh, it's one of the last trailers that Orson Welles did narration for. Oh, that's Aww. that's right. It's the revenge of the nerds. Yeah, I mean, you know, between this and Transformers, uh, the animated movie, him doing the voice of uh, Unicron, the planet, um, it is, you know, one of the last few things Orson Welles did. He did a lot of voiceover in his career uh, for, for trailers and things. He had that voice, and it's... Um, it is worth noting at the time in 84 this came out nerds was not really a popular word i say this even though i was two when this movie came out but from the research i've done you know nerds was a pretty unusual word that people you know geek or or, or lame i don't know spaz and yeah, yeah i mean they do list the older terms in this film spaz freak uh, freak what's the one my dad would use space cadet that's sort of a strange yeah uh, but, <laughs> so you would have these terms, but nerds was kind of a catch-all, and I think how they define it in this movie, um, albeit explicitly towards the end, it, it is pretty open-ended, which I thought was sort of refreshing. At the same time, you know, this came after Animal House, after Porky's, after, you know, you had the whole sex comedy thing in the 80s, and it had to be at a college, and, and all these things, and... Um, you have to keep in mind when this this came out, and I, I think you know because it's it's sort of like uh, it, it, Revenge of the Nerds isn't the only film guilty of this, but it is like sex crimes, the comedy, <laughs> on, on, on some level. You know, I okay. I'll just to get this out of the way. I've done a lot of thinking about about this, especially going back and watching a lot of old media. It doesn't 
It doesn't bother me for the same reason that Daffy Duck being shot in the face by a double-barreled shotgun doesn't bother me. Okay. Uh, because it, in real life, if you get shot in the face by a double-barreled shotgun, that is a tragedy. Likewise, in real life, if a cabal of nerds did the things to you that they do to uh, the Tridelts, that would be a tragedy. Uh, and yes, a crime. But because it's an absurd situation with ridiculous characters, it's just like Daffy Duck getting shot in the face by a shotgun. It's it's hilarious because it's not real. Okay, I have instant rebuttal on that. Um, okay, there's some valid point there. However, what is all, what it's also saying though is that like if you need to, you know, outflank the jocks and you know outsmart everyone because you're nerds and nerds are smart, right? So you're going to use your prowess and your engineering skills and you're going to channel that towards inappropriately peeping and taking, uh, you know, nude videos of women without their consent. Well, I mean, that, that's the, that, I mean, that is something the because the nerds don't have the moral high ground in here for very long. They, they give right. that up pretty early. No. And, and I was, and, and watching, I was kind of surprised when the maiden nerd hooks up with that main member of the, of the Tridelts and like, she joins the nerds. I just, I was just thinking, huh? Like what was there a scene where she found out what was going on? Did they immediately disassemble their whole operation? Right. They joined the ranks at the end. That's what they say, but it's pretty, um, fast turnabout. And it's worth, with this movie, looking at the career of of the director, uh, Jeff Canoe, he started as an editor. In fact, he was um, the editor of an Academy Award uh, winning uh, movie, Ordinary People. And from oh, that, he yeah. started as a result of that movie's, um, you know, sort of sweep, getting a lot of Oscar uh, nominations, uh, not, to, not to mention awards. It, you know, he, he got an opportunity to direct some stuff. He had... Uh, done some kind of smaller things and revenge of the nerds he he could relate to the characters and uh said well well th this i can do um you know you look at his, his later stuff he's done a lot of television he did i think out of the theatrical stuff after revenge of the nerds was notable something called tough guys that was a uh, a crime movie with burt lancaster kirk douglas and a very young dana carvey hmm. interesting it. yeah um so he's done yeah a lot of different things in his career and I think the way he directs this movie is is pretty straightforward but you get some good um I think there's some good imagery in here and it, it, we should I mean I, I guess talk about the the story in order but the the main nerds are Lewis Skolnick played by Robert Carradine this was the first starring Art for Robert Carradine, who he's part of the um, Carradine clan. He's John Carradine's son, um, probably the the most famous uh, brother that Robert Carradine has is the late David Carradine, who is, is best known as the lead on Kung Fu and was the titular Bill in Kill Bill. And of note, he was um, cast prior to this in The Long Riders by Walter Hill as um, yes. 
they cast all real life brothers, uh, Stacy Keach and uh, James Keach, and then uh, had Randy Quaid and Dennis Quaid, and then it had uh, yeah. Keith, um, David, and uh, Robert Carradine. When it's a really really cool flick. Robert Carradine also pops up briefly in a scene in uh, Django Unchained. That too, yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, and then the other character, um, Anthony Edwards, played by Gilbert Anthony Edwards of ER and Top Gun fame. Um, although he did this one before Top Gun, I believe. And uh, there's some, there's a real sweetness, I think, to these two main characters. Well, that. they're they're introduced like they're clearly lifelong best friends, and yes. it took me a moment to figure out. Wait, are they brothers or not? Well, no, they're not brothers, but the movie doesn't exactly go out of their way to 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 establish that. Oh, maybe you can clear up a question I have. So, in the opening scene when Anthony Edwards is in bed and he's like, "Oh, I'm nervous about going out," you know, and then his mom rips a cut off the blanket, and like I feel like that was a reveal or a laugh. Was that a joke? Was I supposed to get something? I think I think it is supposed to be a reveal that he's as big of a nerd as his best friend. Is the but joke that he's like fully dressed? Yes, I think maybe that, so. I think that's, okay, I think that's the joke, and that he w- was you know kind of over prepared all along, and that right. look he still has his clothes on. But I mean, the, the way Anthony Edwards looks, yes, he has glasses. So does Robert Carradine, but. Robert Carradine is Lewis. I mean, that is the, especially for the 80s, the textbook definition of what a nerd looks like. Yeah. Like with the, the, the selected back 1950s hair, pocket protector, thick glasses, thick rimmed glasses, uh, the, the laugh, which is a big thing. I mean, his, uh, you were mentioning on, on Facebook, Alex, you know, the, uh, the father of um, Lewis is played by a pretty young. Uh, James Cromwell here credited as Jamie Cromwell. Yeah. And it, and it's like Bob Odenkirk traveled back in time to play this dad. <laughs> I guess the, it is. I mean, the, uh, the they, laugh was James Cromwell's, uh, ex wife or girlfriend. I think he, he based it on that. Huh? And it, it, it's a signature thing of the series that laugh. I mean, you yeah. even get, uh, the, the soundtrack to this, I think is, um, actually pretty good. You have, uh, this Revenge of the Nerds theme song at the beginning, and it uses samples of dialogue and stuff from the movie in the theme song. Um, again, this is done a lot now, but at the time that was pretty unusual, and it has this calculator font in the opening credits. It's oh, like that a, old computer like font fake. that used to be on textbooks in the in the eighties. Yeah, yes. it's like fake Devo. Yes. Yeah, the yeah. Th- yeah, the theme song, the Revenge of the Nerd theme song is like the Ruby News. It is the Ruby News doing their best Devo impression. <laughs> but it's not a bad Devo impression. No, it's just not that, at all. That Devo, Devo would never write this song. They would write Mongoloid instead. Yeah, thank God. Um, I was actually surprised we didn't... I thought we were going to get more um, tunes from these guys or more mileage from that song. Yes, you, you think it would be like the Rocky theme or something, and they don't. But uh, or they'd have like different, you know, uh, like songs for different interludes of the movie, you know, or like after they release the pigs or something. Back like, looks like things are down for the nerds, down for it, the nerds. Oh, that's an idea, right? Or in their darkest a... moment, they just play like a slowed down, sad version. It's the yeah. revenge of the nerds. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of. Um, on the original Hawaii Five O series, when stuff got bad on a case, you'd you'd hear an instrumental of the Hawaii Five O theme played really sad, <laughs> which is yeah. 
If you want a good listen, there's um, Sammy Davis Jr. did a cover of the Hawaii Five O theme with um, its original uh, lyrics, which is it's Hawaii Five O, and they're fighting crime. Not not quite. It's about helping out friends or something. It's, well, um, how, how would you compare it to the Star Trek lyrics? Less pretentious. <laughs> but, Class is back in session, and HyperX has the grade A gear you need for dorm life, remote classes, and for schooling folks online. Shop the HyperX back to school deals going on now at hyperx.com to help make your return to student life a breeze. Comfortable cloud headsets can keep you focused in as you cram for finals with some lo-fi beats, and stay productive with lightweight Pulsefire mice, responsive alloy keyboards, and more. Keep your GPA and your KDA high with HyperX products and accessories. I mean, yeah, here with Revenge of the Nerds, you know, it's I, I I first saw this movie. I was at a sleepover with friends. I was in middle school. I think it was kind of the perfect age for this sort of thing. And my friend's mom actually rented it for us. I don't think she knew the content of the movie, but shit. But um, my, my friend, uh, Josh, his um, his, you know, he was kind of a surprise baby. His uh, uh, brothers were like 10 years older than him. And, and so... She was the the mom rented this movie for us, and she's like, "Oh yeah, your brothers would rent this movie all the time, Revenge mm-hmm. of the Nerds." Um, it, you know, probably to to pause at the to, to all the all the nudity and stuff later on in the movie or something. But it's a uh, it was something that sort of caught us by surprise. We had heard the film, we had never seen it. It wasn't one they really put on TV that much. The second one, um, which is rated PG thirteen, you know, was on TV quite a lot, but this first one. Uh, it is more. I, I wouldn't say it's like 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 a dark movie necessarily, or kind of a harder edge, but it's it it does lean into more of this uh, uh, like a tits and ass sort of college comedy. Yeah this this is this is an R rated comedy back when that used to mean something. Um, <laughs> this this movie haunted me in my childhood uh, because I I. I was one of the first people to self-identify as a nerd uh, back in the 80s. And that, oh, yeah, yeah, you must love this movie, Thrasher, don't you? I was like, no, I don't. Now, mind you, at the time, the only one I had seen all the way through was the second one, which at the time I absolutely hated. <laughs> and, like, just just the thought the thought of this, like, I, I couldn't stand the title of this movie just, like, hovering over me throughout so much of my childhood. That being said, I didn't realize this. This is the first time I've ever seen the movie all the way through from beginning to end. I saw a good chunk of the middle when I was real young. Like Mm. like RoboCop, this was one of the R-rated movies that I think my parents were watching, and I couldn't sleep. I ended up seeing a chunk of it with them. (laughs) And then I saw the final act on USA's Up All Night sometime in the 90s. Right, and that's, huh. What about you, Alex? Had you seen this before? Have you heard of it before? Oh, I definitely have heard of it. Yeah, I remember it was on rotation a lot in Comedy Central because I remember they would always plug that scene of Booger belching into the microphone, and they would always yes. play that yeah. little clip of the musical number, especially the dude turning around. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing that a bunch. I remember like a, I would catch clips here and there, and then the irony was, was that I was like, Revenge of the Nerds. I'm not a nerd. Meanwhile, all this time, 
you know, because I was raised by parents who were like, Monty Python is awesome. Lord of the Rings is great. Read books. <laughs> Science is cool. And it wasn't until like age like 15 when I'm like, holy shit, I'm a nerd. Didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. <laughs> At which point it was taken out of rotation. So I never really got around to it. You know what? I was pleasantly surprised to see uh, a 12 year old John Goodman making his cinematic debut. Yeah, that was another one. I was like, James Cromwell, freaking John Goodman. And then underneath those glasses, that's actually Robert Carradine. Like, what the hell is going on here? Right. You also have things in here like, um, I mean, Curtis, um, or, uh, excuse me, Curtis Armstrong. He was in his late 20s. He's one of the older people in here. He plays Booger. And he had, you know, went to, to school for acting and studied Shakespeare. And uh, before this, had, had been in a movie with Tom Cruise called Risky Business. Oh, yeah. Uh, pretty sort of um, iconic kind of early Tom Cruise role. And I, I was reading some of uh, Curtis Armstrong's memoir. And he talks about it. He, he looked at the script uh, for this, didn't really like it, and said, I absolutely will not play Booger. And of course, it's what he's offered. He turned him down a few times, and then it was sort of like he had no jobs coming in, and so he took it. But once he got into it, he wrote like a full uh, 10-page character bio of what he thought Booger's backstory was, and 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 uh, took it really seriously. Um, also in the book, he uh, mentions, and this was the case with Animal House and um, a lot of other these kind of movies at the time, all the cast kind of lived like at the same hotel and uh, the parties that were going on were pretty nuts, <laughs> to, there's to a say whole, the least. There's a whole movie about that. Uh, fil- yeah. Uh, of, uh, Under the Rainbow for uh, Wizard of Oz. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Sure. There's also That was also the case for Poindexter. Um, I guess a lot of the supporting characters were very underwritten, and the movie was supposed to mainly just to be about, obviously, um, Lewis and Gilbert and their whole thing. But... Um, in order to really get them on board to play uh, Booger and Poindexter and some of the other guys, is that they gave the actors a lot of a lot more range to kind of fill their characters out. And I'm glad they did that because even with it, a lot of the supporting uh, characters in the nerd clan, they do feel pretty underdeveloped. I mean, they have like one or two little things about them, but aside from that, they're just there. Well, you know, the the cast does have an easygoing, at least the, among the nerds, there's an easygoing like chemistry between them. Like I, I totally buy that they that they're not just like allies in adversity; they are friends. And I do love that. It's funny this movie really does take its time, and yet they give every character multiple opportunities to do little bits. I really right. miss that. Yeah, yeah, it it feels very lived in, the sort of um, repartee between the characters. I also think, I mean, when I saw this movie, I assumed because of the the poster, I think, and how uh, Robert Carradine as Lewis looked in, in particular. Oh, every character is going to have glasses and the pocket protector. But actually, no. I mean, especially for the '80s, this was a pretty diverse cast. You had uh, Brian Tochi plays Toshiro uh, Takashi. And, uh, well, I mean, yes, it's a very stereotypical, like, Japanese part that there's any Japanese character in there at all is, is something. Larry B. Scott is Lamar. 
not only is he black, he's a gay man. I mean, th- those two things in, in combination, you really didn't see much in movies. And again, and is it play- very stereotypically, but there is a, yes. I mean, like it is a, it's a form of representation. It, it is a form of representation. And I, I'm um, reminded of a, a TV history course. I, I dropped out in college and it talked about the old or TV and radio history course. It talked about Amos and Andy mm how uh, uh, on the radio, eventually they were played by, um, or maybe it was when it became a TV show, it was played by uh, uh, black actors in the lead. Yeah, the, the radio was, show, it was all white people affecting white people. these black voices, but on the TV show, yeah. they actually hired African-American actors. Right. The key and, word and is eventually. Right, and the point being, like, you know, you're in this very stereotypical kind of Jim Crow, step and fetch it kind of, role is it better to have that role and have some representation on tv than no representation that you are giving work to actors of color but it's to what and to what i just think there's less choices for a long time and i think now things have gotten a lot better in that respect and i i do think with the, the the premise of this movie you could do a remake of this or even do it as a tv series in fact in a few weeks we'll talk about the unreleased tv pilot to this which is terrible mm-hmm. um but it, you mean it, the, it shows, the big bang a, theory a, uh yeah pretty much but i mean it's <laughs> it, there, there's really something here you know that makes the nerds or happen to all be freshmen and um because the uh, Alpha Betas, the the main kind of super jock group, throw a party that goes a bit too crazy. Their uh, their dorm is house is all burnt down, so they get fraternity the freshman house dorm. Burned, yeah. For excuse me, fraternity house is, is burned down. So the the freshmen, instead of living in the dorms, have to give up their dorms to the Alpha Betas, and they have to live in a gymnasium on these cots with one black and white TV uh, as they take pains to point out. And I saw this and I'm like, you know, I think that's a pretty believable premise as far as these things go. Based on our college experience. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny too, because like, it's interesting that um, a college that is so entrenched in the, in their uh, athletics department would also have a very uh, lucrative, um, I guess, nerd department or, uh, scholastic uh, course load that would appeal to such a nerdy demographic. Uh, well, I don't know. I'm thinking of um, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking of Georgia Tech in particular. You know, they have you know one of the best computer science programs in the country. It, it, you know, that's not Ivy League, and they have a, a football team that's pretty popular. And I mean, it's no UGA, but it's, it's yeah, exactly. It's something. But you're so, right. It is a, a different. Uh, an interesting thing that they have, you know, all kinds of different things going on at this college. Well, well you get <laughs> almost every kind of nerd in this movie, but like one of the, like we never really learn exactly what anyone's studying except for one of the nerds is a child prodigy. I think he's supposed to be like 12 maybe. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like I think the actor's probably 14, but they're, they're trying to play him younger. And like, and, and he's the only one whose major we ever really learned where he went there to study aerodynamics, but then found computer science and computer engineering more challenging. So that's what he's studying. Like we never really learn anyone else's major. We just, every now and then they'll mention a class that they are taking like accordion. Right. And I can't speak to the, um, fraternity or sorority experience. I have friends that did it. My sister was in a, um, 
sorority and I had uh, uh, family members that were, but I, I do like that the names here are names that are so stupid mm-hmm. for these organizations that you never would see them. Alpha I, Betas, Pi De- Delta Pies, <laughs> I Lambda Moos. Which, which is a bad joke to begin with. <laughs> I gotta say, what really surprised me was uh, like the the machinations of like becoming a fraternity and like the the Greek council within the college, like the actual like nuts and bolts of like what it takes to become a fraternity. I actually found that to be co- pretty interesting, and I'm I'm actually uh, I really appreciate the film for going into it. Well, like they do, they do sort of explain the rules that that the characters are operating under, and then they exploit those rules, which which is kind of a a, a nerd thing to do. But yeah, the uh, you know the nerds get tired of of living in the gym, uh, and so and this is something that the movie does a lot, but I feel not enough is when the nerds use their nerdery and cleverness to solve a problem. And so, like yes. they find all these uh, they they find all these like houses for rent. Uh, and so they like work out like a search pattern and divide it up. So everybody can, you know, find things can, can they can like search the t- whole town uh, in less than a day to find a place to live. And there's, there's two things that really jumped out at this scene. Cause every nerd gets like a, just a little bit of shtick where they go to a house and, um, uh, uh, Toshiro Takashi, he goes to one of the houses and there's a Japanese guy at that house and they have a whole conversation in <laughs> Japanese, which I kind of wish was subtitled. Although that might spoil the joke because the guy who's renting the house goes on this whole rant that just ends with the word nerd. And then he just slams the door into kitchen. <laughs> I like the joke when it's the little kid warms or goes to a place and there's this kind of older Madame kind of woman opening the door. He's like, Oh, you'd live right across the room from the hall from me. Yeah, that's and it, no one ever talks about to, that scene when they talk about yeah, objectionable. Right? Yeah, if he's trying to come on to some someone at least uh, thirty years or junior, uh, to say and a minor uh, on top of that. Yeah, it's it's there's some very weird stuff and what you said about the machinations with the plot. I'm not if you if they did this movie today, I'm not sure they would spend a third of the film going into what they have to do to uh to be part of the official college on the other hand you know that is the central kind of conflict of this movie well it does like it gives you it gives you some stuff to hang some bits on which i really appreciate but the other yes they have to find a place they have to you know before that look for places to live individually then they have to find a place collectively then they have to find a way to get their foot in the door and they're on like a uh, like a probationary was like a 30-day trial 60-day probationary membership yeah right but, well, that's well, that's the thing, though. The way this scene ends, though, is is truly bizarre because, like, we, you, like we see Lewis going down the street and he sees the house and he almost gets in front of the house and then there's this very awkward, abrupt cut to him explaining to the rest of the nerds that he's found the perfect place, and then we cut to the the wrecked house that he found. But because we already saw like a third of the wrecked house because of that awkward cut, the reveal's kind of ruined. But then we also do get one of the best bits where they're just cleaning the house and fixing it up. And there's so many wonderful little character moments, including one. So something I actually like, I like that like Booger and Takeshi are friends and there's this bit where they're painting a wall 
and Booger's got a joint, and he keeps having Takeshi take more of the joint. Like, no, no, obviously you haven't had enough. Here, have some more. He's like, I told you, Booger, I don't feel anything. And then he falls over, but the paint roller does this <laughs> awesome, like, big curved line <laughs> to the wall they're painting. It's like, just a great bit of physical comedy. I appreciated that, too, because it kind of goes into the narrative that, like, I mean, Booger doesn't really strike me as a big brainiac. He just kind of strikes me as just kind of an outcast who likes to smoke dope. Um, he's not, they don't really establish that he's like, you know, like an astrologist or anything like that. Like, eh, he just kind of well, seems like a burnout. Well, he's he's the nerd that truly lacks social graces. Like, he yes. runs counter to social graces. And so right. that that's kind of that's kind of his in. You know? I think in a way, yeah. too, he knows how to liven up a party, as we see later on. And he has the leather jacket, black leather jacket. He He comes across to me as the coolest of the nerds. Right. Because sort like, of. Yeah. Yeah, sort of. Right. He saves the party, you know. Um and uh but yeah, you know, it's like if you brought him over to your, you know, your house, he wouldn't like, you know, introduce himself properly the way like Lewis would. He'd be in the corner picking his nose probably because he's baked out of his mind. And I, I do like um the film is very sort of episodic, but you have this extend I mean the party sequence where they they have Oh, it doesn't uh, end. They, it doesn't. It keeps on going and going and going, and and there is some funny bits, but I don't think it's as funny as the movie thinks it is. I mean, there's a, uh, I mean that stuff really reminds me of um, some of the party stuff and in, in Animal House that kind of drags on forever. But you, you have the thing of they're trying to find a fraternity, and and the only one they can find that will even talk to him is Lambda, 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 and that's because they happen to not send him a photograph of what they look like, right? And it it happens to be an all black fraternity. <laughs> And even as a kid, I'm like, what, when I was watching this, I'm like, oh, how racist are they going to go with the jokes? And I have to say, they're they're pretty, they handle it pretty well. Like, there's a kind of sturdiness to the the tri-lambs, and yet, as they loosen up in the party, you get a point, weirdly, later on, where Lewis is calling them, kind of confessing a, a, a panty raid they did, and... The, the reaction is just kind of bizarre uh, amusement. I, um, I I like the inclusion of the Lambda thing because they didn't send a picture of what they looked like. And then when they meet, it's like very awkward. And then I kind of got this feeling that it's kind of like we were both kind of like they recognize the kind of outsider potential in both parties and that these guys aren't welcome or part of like, you know, the white wasp elite, you know, fraternity lifestyle, you know, like that they're kind of outsiders in their own right for being uh, persons of color. We don't, if, right. If and and this the movie, head of, yeah, go on. Oh, if this movie has a moral point, it's a moral point about being allies and adversity. Yes. True. You have uh, here in the role of uh, the, the head of Lambda 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 is Bernie Casey, who was originally a, uh, a football player for the San Francisco 49ers in the 60s, and then he later became an actor and a, a poet and an author and all these things. And yet the the acting is not, you know, I think is a good bit better than what you might expect from someone who used to be a football player. A lot of times you have uh, athletes make the transition to act in the movies. And um, I mean, it can work with like uh, Bernie Casey here, like Jim Brown and, and, uh, and, and some other ones. But what on the other he, hand, you, 
well, he just says everything just seriously enough. You believe it, but he also he's he had the best one of the best lines in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. All you've oh, learned yes. is that Caesar is a salad dressing dude. Mm-hmm. Right. He's he's very good at these sort of dry deliveries, and you you have uh, the the party isn't really going, and Lewis puts on a a record that he thinks <laughs> would appeal. And it's Swing Low Sweet Chariot. Yeah, it's an old spiritual. It's the only thing yes. he can think of of music that they might like. <laughs> but thankfully, Lamar walks really, runs up to the record player and very quickly changes it. But I mean, some of the music we hear in this movie is a bit higher rent than I was expecting. You hear yeah. Jackson's Thriller. You hear Queen's We Are the Champion at the end. You hear Talking uh, before... Heads. Yeah. And, and when yep. I... When I heard Talking Heads, I just made this joke that, oh, yeah, the Tom Tom Club paid them $3,000 to use Talking Heads in this scene. <laughs> right. Now, they're not, they're, all these bands are not on the soundtrack album for uh, money reasons. But still, that they're in the movie, I thought it was pretty impressive because you expect yeah. everything, a low budget movie, to have all these like sound alikes and. Right. Or covers or something like that. Like I half expected them to be dancing to like 1950s music or something at their party, and it's yeah, instead they have stuff that's pretty, not just contemporary, but stuff that was hits. So, so what do you think about? You do have like the girls come in here, right? The Omega Moos. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, because like one one of the like uh, it's not uh, Lewis. It's it's Gilbert has started having a relationship with uh, with this the the accordion player, and it's really sweet seeing them interact. Like that's it's the healthiest relationship in the movie. <laughs> but it turns out she yeah she's in a sorority called the the Delta Moos. That's another sort of pun name, and so she invites her sorority sisters because er- earlier. Uh, the uh, Pi Delta Pies did this whole song and dance routine where they tricked the nerds into thinking that they were coming, and then they they didn't. So when the when the Delta Moves come over, you know, Booger says his usual crass thing. But once like they they get there, there's this funny scene uh, set to uh, the song uh, uh, "The Sex Girls" by the Gleaming Spires, where we just see like all the guys are on one side of the room and all the girls are on the other, but they eventually loosen up and they have a great, a great party together. And it's, and it's, it's really just fun seeing, seeing them all come together in a, in a, in a, in a healthy way. Uh, but then the, uh, the evil fraternities and sororities like release a bunch of pigs, uh, on, into their house. Now, see, I think this is interesting too, because when they invite the, the, um, sorority sisters over and and like you said it's supposed to be a play on words like the moves like oh it's like it reminds me of something like stupid like she like she's all that you know where you just like slap a pair of glasses on like a model and you're like oh look at the nerd you know what i mean it's like you see these like you know varied women of like you know uh you know they have different figures and everything like that but like they're all like very like beautiful looking people you know what i mean it's just kind of hard to be like look at the nerd, she has glasses, or look at that frumpy dress, you know what I mean? Um, I guess that's just movie for you. But um, the other thing I thought was kind of funny, though, was that I feel like if I were throwing a party with some like-minded friends and like a few pigs ran in, we'd probably be like, oh, cool, pigs, because they're <laughs> adorable. You know they are. Like, I feel like that's something that would ruin like the frat party like they'd be like ew gross oh farm animals that's like gross you know what i mean i feel like i feel like true nerds would would actually be like oh look look at this guy huh 
Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded a bit of um, my high school as a senior prank. Uh, there were stories of past years where they would put uh, greased pigs and have them run through the hall and through classes and stuff. But I never, by the time I was a senior in the, the year 2000, we had, you know, people would put maybe bags of crickets in people's lockers. <laughs> <laughs> and they and, and they had like a an official school sanctioned senior prank, which was making the parking lot look like a beach where when the school has to get involved with the senior prank, that just sort of lame. says it's yeah. like game over. Yeah, just super lame, not creative. It's not like uh, putting a car on the roof or, or something. Yeah. So the so a, a senior prank thing, my old high school, uh, which, which thanks to therapy I hate even more. Uh, <laughs> the they had a tradition of senior pranks, uh, and the the only one that that was like that I thought was any good was when they released a bunch of chickens uh, into the courtyard, uh, and mm. in part because like the chick like like pigs the chickens are adorable animals and like it just made the place seem a bit more vital and alive but also no one could catch the chickens so they just stayed there for the rest of the year <laughs> which i thought was great um but like the senior prank just like especially when it is sanctioned by by the school it seems so pointless that by the time my class was the senior class we didn't even bother <laughs> yes yeah i can well, if we have sure. time for one more prank awry story sure. um this one i wasn't affiliated with but it was at a culinary school and somebody thought it would be funny if they uh threw a loaf uh, a big blob of dough in someone's car <laughs> as a as a gag right so what Ugh. they did to add insult to injury was that they overloaded it with a shit ton of yeast and sugar to oh, sugar no. with sugar activating the yeast <laughs> It was a really hot day, so the dough like turned into the blob and it expanded. <laughs> they had to get like the job, like a fucking ruin the car, <laughs> like really got out of hand. They that should have, be in a movie. Yeah, they had to get like the fire department to like cut the doors off and shit. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you reminded me with the with the car at my high school. Someone really pissed someone off, so they proceeded to take off the wheels on the guy's car and leave a note saying, "Car note runs too good with no wheels, don't it." <laughs> nice. So, so oh, we we ought to, we ought to talk about some some of the revenge the nerds get because you know when they when they realize yes, yes. that the 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 delta uh the pi delta pi's are, are are connected to all this they 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 do they do two parallel things so I guess one is a distraction which is one like the ner the nerds like launch a, a panty raid but while the panty raid's going on. Um, Lamar and the little kid, they go through the crawl space of the sorority house and they set up yeah. these security cameras. And like, like th this is one of, this is one of those cartoonish things because I don't know how the hell they don't immediately spot the security cameras that they set up because they are huge and sticking out of huge holes in the wall. And make not noise. just that you see the mechanics of how it can work. It's not just a static camera. They can move around uh, a little bit. They can pivot. They can zoom in, zoom out. They can switch between cameras. It's a high tech setup, as befits. It's a very, it, yeah, very high tech setup. Also, they they keep on. Uh, they have to drill these big holes in the wall where the the lens can go through. I mean, the setup is is so complicated. But then they're back, looking, watching the people changing and stuff. And it's like they just did the panty raid, which I guess wasn't enough and they're doing this and they're uh, i think lewis is 
having Cheerios with instead of milk, he's having beer on it. I love that little bit. It was like, hand me a beer, and he just pours it into his oh, cycle. Gross. <laughs> See, that's like I think there's like a little funny. There's like a like kind of like a little like cultural disconnect where I think of like you know like true nerd like staying up all night crunching number nerd isn't gonna be the one fraternizing with the like pounding beer all night type of quote nerd, I guess. Well, keep in mind, though, these are all people who are probably just now discovering alcohol. So for I, the first I yes. time, yeah, except so for Burger, doing it. probably been drinking since he was 14. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but but anyway, this this whole this whole the, the whole like panty raid installing the camera scene. So it be like the first half of it is them like sneaking into the building and it's all set to the Mission Impossible theme. Is this the first use of the Mission Impossible theme for comedic effect? Because I can't think of an earlier example. Mm. I don't know. There must like, have been something on a variety show. Like, it's a cliche now, but, like, it's fresh here. Not only that, but it's a it's a cut of the track, uh, presumably from an album or something, where it's more than what you hear in the theme song. You get some, like, jazzy noodling on the synth keyboard. It's a bit brassier, too. A bit brassier with the arrangement. You have, um... And, and on top of all this, you know, you have... Because of the pigs and stuff, the uh, the lambda lambda lambdas, the, the nerds uh, fraternity, do do file uh, a complaint. But because uh, what the machinations Alex was saying earlier, the uh, alpha betas said they'll form. I mean, this is not unlike contemporary politics. But you have the alpha betas saying they'll form a committee of just alpha beta members to investigate yeah, well, the, com- what the happened. People, the committee is based is made up of the people who committed the crime that they want to, in, that they claim to investigate. So because of this, you know, it kind of sets up at the end of the film, uh, not that you get really much training for it, but it, it there's kind of like a, a carnival where it's kind of a student Olympic sort of thing. And you're kind of setting up, if they can win that, then they can take over the, uh, the Greek council and they can, um, yeah, you know, get some, their revenge ultimately that way. Yeah, it's, it's some college policy that who, whichever whichever fraternity or sorority wins gets to choose the president of the council, which is it's some great stakes, but it's all but it's also one of those. Well, how does that 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 can't be how any Greek council in the world works? You'd think there'd be Alex, like an election. What do you campaign. think about? Yeah, uh, Alex, what do you think about some of the events in the carnival at the end? Oh yeah, the. Um... The whole uh, pie plate thing and the 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 go kart derby and everything like that. I I was kind of disappointed that they give Tochi um like the like an alcohol resistant pill thing. I was like, nah, you should have had Tochi just you know be a drinking monster. No, but I I like that because like because yeah, that's the first event is that there's this like bicycle race or tricycle race where you have to like drink a beer every lap and it's sort of like the last person still on the track and the nerds use their cleverness they have toshi take a pill that counteracts the uh, that that has a name but i couldn't get, get yeah. it written down so i'm sure it's made up oh, but yeah. like it sounds plausible which is why I, it, it kind of works here and that it, and so like so he's completely sober even though he's constantly drinking beer and at, at first it bothered me but then i found it kind of charming is that the song they play it's Daisy. It's it's the song Daisy Daisy, the the old the old bicycling song back when bicycles <laughs> had a huge front wheel. Um, but it's all sung in <laughs> Japanese, which is kind of cute. 
Uh, Which is, I, I appreciated that. See, I thought it would have been funnier if he's like, hey, take this pill so he won't get drunk. And then Toshi wins, and then he's like, oh, shit, I gave him a cough drop by mistake. And just oh, turns out Toshi's just a beast. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but then you ought to cut to one of the like one of the nerds with a psychology textbook explaining how that worked. But like, cause, and the thing is, like, oh yeah, this is it. This is how the nerds are going to sweep the events. They'll use their cleverness on every event. They don't. Now, admittedly, <laughs> you do want to build tension, and if the nerds just sweep this thing, there's no tension to be built. But as a result, you sort of deny them a victory that they should be able to achieve. So like, they kind of forget to use their cleverness and lose a whole bunch of events until it's like the javelin toss and this is really this is kind of the closest they get to a gay joke and it's not much of a joke where lamar is the guy who's going to do the javelin toss but the kid who studied aerodynamics and engineering has made a special javelin designed to maximize the throwing potential of his quote limp-wristed throwing technique yeah and like that's kind of as close as it gets. So, but like, I love, and you get that goofy shot of Lamar like running and the javelin is like wobbling all crazy. <laughs> but then they do win. So they're clever again. But it all comes down to, well, and then they, you know, the charity with the pies, which again, it's one of those things where like in real life, this would be a crime. Uh, but because it's a goofy movie, it's just all played for laughs, where the reason they're selling so many pies for charity is that they have nude photos of the pie Delta pies and the nude photos are hidden under the whipped cream on the pie. So everyone's buying nude photos from the nerds. Also, and this is also have... where we get what's probably the most controversial scene in this film <laughs> where, where the evil fraternity and sorority, they are doing a kissing booth. And for some reason, the head of the jocks is wearing an off brand Darth Vader costume. I very off brand. I'm not entirely sure why, although this, although keep in mind, this is 1984. This was when Star Wars wasn't a nerd thing. It was an everybody thing because like Star Wars was a four quadrant hit. If you like Star Wars, you weren't a nerd. You were someone who went to the movies. And so like across the board, you were everybody. Yeah. Across the board, everybody loved it. You were only a nerd if you read the novels. (laughs) Right. Or, Um, you know, you spoke a certain like language yeah but but you know his girl his girlfriend you know gets horny and decides like she wants to go into the fun house which is conveniently abandoned during this whole thing and so lewis switches costumes with the jock he goes in there and has some sort of sex with her but we don't know what kind because he seems to be going down on her but yeah yeah he right. he has sex with her under false pretenses which again would be a crime but because when she it's just, rape. But yeah, that's that's specifically yes, that is the crime that it is. It, it is rape. But when she sees that it's him, she suddenly realizes, oh, you are a you have made me feel better than any boyfriend I've ever had. And he has that great line. Well, well, yeah, like all jocks think about is, is sports, but all nerds think about is sex. And there's a kind of truth to that. Uh, that very true. It's just but, but again, getting it's a, there. It's a character beat that would never happen in real life. Oh, and also, yeah. But and, like, I feel like that realization is, like, the attempt to make it okay when it's so not. And, it's and like, her... Yeah. Um, oh, what's her name? And, and Betty, uh, Childs, played by Julie Montgomery, her, at the end, making the turn to being a nerd is so 
forced, and that this, this is the way they do it. I agree. That's a funny line. Well, you know what I I wish I wish it came with a physical transformation. I wish it was admittedly yes, this wasn't yeah. exactly the cliche at the time where you take off the glasses and the ponytail and you're the hottest person in the world. But I really feel like at the end it should have been I don't need these contacts anymore. I'm going to wear my prescription glasses. And like it, it turns out she has these big coke bottle glasses or something at the end. <laughs> that that would have sold it a bit more. I think uh, rewatching this the the part of the movie I completely forgot is uh, that the nerds do win the competition and yet um it, for uh, revenge the alphabetas go and completely ruin their house previously on chat of the wild did anyone kid all the bugs for agatha no, no i meant to and i even had a bug that i like could have given back to her and i forgot that bug is gone don't forever. go in there if if you do and then not give it to her I know. She can smell it on you. She knows. I know you have bugs. I know you're holding out on me. <laughs> <laughs> I can smell it. <laughs> Did anyone get um, all the pose? No. No, God, no. Chat of the Wild. Breaking down Zelda and Zelda-like games, one dungeon at a time. Wednesdays on the HyperX Podcast Network. Us. We're the Spirit Hunters, and we're a show that treats Hunter Hunter and Yu Hakusho's author as the center of the universe. Some weeks we do linguistic analysis. The Chinese meaning of this character is to smelt or refine, but so the changed meaning in Japanese it means to temper. Other times, we get absolutely smashed. So we take one shot every time. Yusuke uses the ray gun. One hour later. This is the least coherent episode. Check us out at the HyperX Podcast Network. Class is back in session, and HyperX has the grade A gear you need for dorm life, remote classes, and for schooling folks online. Shop the HyperX back-to-school deals going on at HyperX.com to help make your return to student life a breeze. Comfortable cloud headsets can help keep you focused in as you cram for finals with some lo-fi beats and stay productive with lightweight pulsefire mice, responsive alloy keyboards, and more. Keep your GPA and your KDA high with HyperX products and accessories. Yeah, they just they just tear it down, and finally Gilbert's like, you know, you know, screw it. We can't wait. We can't wait to be in power next year. We've got to do something now. So he's going to go off to confront, uh, to confront the jocks at homecoming, um, and the jocks, of course, you know, bully him, throw him into a fountain. But uh, we eventually get this kind of nice transformative moment where where Lewis, where you know Lewis and Gilbert they go up to the stage and they steal the microphone from the coach. And it's at this point, played by John Goodman, and it's, it's it's at this point that the Dean, Dean Ulick, played by David Wool, he finally remembers, oh, wait, I'm the Dean. I'm the one <laughs> who, runs, who runs the school. And so he finally, like, everybody stands up to the jocks, including the Dean, and they give this great speech about, you know, being a nerd and acceptance. And it's one of those things, because, like, it does... It does do a whole thing about how, you know, we'll never be, like, we'll never all be truly free until nerd persecution ends. And I do, I, I, I do think the parallel that they try to draw between the civil rights movement is meant with a bit of irony. But it's still, it's still this fun kind of goofy message of inclusion at the end. Right. Oh, you know what we've completely glossed over is the talent show. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the more oh, yeah. famous sequences in the movie. Yeah, because we, we get, get different... 
all these like bad, all these bad kind of little bits that everybody's doing, including a stand-up routine by a fraternity that apparently only has two members, <laughs> the Plaid Brothers. <laughs> But yeah, like the nerds do a whole, and this just reminded me of like like being in college because I'm just gonna say it for the most part. I think our college was the nerd college. Yes, <laughs> like everyone was one of these people. So when we did a show, we went all out, and it's really great. We get Lewis and Gilbert doing like a Devo thing. We get Poindexter, the violinist, doing this mm-hmm. punk synth violinist thing. Uh, you know, we get the the chorus and like. What what I love about this bit is that they've each brought a different style of music together and synthesized it. And then, you know, and then Lamar comes out and does like the rap and then he does the break dance with the little kid. (laughs) It's honestly very sweet. It is very sweet. And I think it's a good bit of business. And you know what I think it's interesting is that this gets right. What Napoleon Dynamite gets so wrong is uh, that you have a geek misfit nerd outcast character who then toward the climactic point of the film does a great big you know uh musical dance number and wins everybody over but that character in napoleon dynamite hasn't actually done anything to ingratiate or like uh endear anyone around him so like the like the righteous applause that he gets in that film feel a little unearned whereas this is actual development and i think plays a little bit better well, beyond that, like you and so many movies mess this up and you see this bit and you, oh yeah, this is clearly the best bit in this talent show. It It is clear that they deserve to win. And they Yeah, do. exactly. Certainly. It's, um, you go and you look and you see the, the reaction. I mean, that you have a rap in here. You have a, a dance routine where um, Lamar is popping and locking. There's quite a lot. And, and the way you get some of the dramatic backlighting and stuff, I think it's a well done piece. And it almost, to me, always feels like the movie should end after that, after they win. But that you get the kind of cheesy speech at the end about, oh, this is what a nerd is, and we're all nerds, and... Well, you know, the other thing I like, though, is when the, the Tri-Delta, like, sort of high command shows up with, with like, muscle. For yes, the yeah. It's, it's kind of, like, on, on, the one, on the one hand, it is playing up the notion of, oh, oh, giant, scary black dudes. But on the other hand, I love that they've all come together. Like, I, I again, again, it's, it's, it's finding allies in adversity. Because when it comes down to it, you know, they, they all have the same enemies, and they definitely do draw parallels between what the Alpha Betas are doing and what the clan does. Definitely. So, I mean, overall, I think I would recommend Revenge of the Nerds. It would, I'd be very interested in seeing like a reaction video of a younger person watching this to see what their reaction would be. It's a bit surprising we haven't got a remake. There was one in development. Um, I had a chance to do uh, to be an extra in the the remake, um, and I turned it down, and I shouldn't have, even though the remake never was finished with the filming, but they filmed it at Georgia Tech, which was right next to where the dorms were uh, at the time. And they recruited for it on Craigslist, so quite some yeah, this, time ago. This- this movie is it it is it is a fascinating time capsule. It's 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 so strange that this movie which was probably pitched as a ripoff to Animal House that the, its similarities to Animal House is probably what got it greenlit in the first place 
became a, a, a huge franchise. It's so, so bizarre. And it's it's fascinating to see sort of how, how the word nerd tracks. And I think the thing that would get it, that would make it difficult to do this today is simply that, like, nerd means something different now. Um, like, it's... It's it's a word it's a word the beautiful people are using now. <laughs> yeah, right. Not just that, but the nerds won in a y- sense. Yeah, have, and look and look what internet. we did. Look what we did with that victory. We turned out to be just as awful as the jocks. <laughs> yes, <you laughs> and I'm not joking. Movie, right, every movie is a DC or Marvel comics movie. Uh, everything's just a copy of a copy of a copy. I, I kind of liked it better in the nerd closet, honestly. I liked it better yes. being outcast. <laughs> it was uh, made it more special, I think, in a way. And yeah, you had to get when, shoved uh, around a couple times here and there, but you got left alone, and your stuff was yours. <laughs> right. I mean, look at look at YouTube. Right. Every video is about how oh, this thing's amazing. This thing's awful. Right. Or you know, like some like Victoria's secret model like with a freaking spider-man shirt being like i'm a nerd (laughs) well admittedly that can stat that can happen but like it is like fandom at least the fandom aspect of nerddom really has has taken over and metastasized it's the it's the entitlement i think that bothers me the most with the social media we had uh, notably with the with Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, or things where people act like you killed a family member, or we're we're the fans, we have to demand our choices. And while yes, that did result in like the the redesign and uh, you know a million dollar correction to Sonic the Hedgehog, having mm-hmm. him look like he does in in the cartoon in the games instead of like a hideous beast with human teeth. Um, that I think sort of set uh, sort of a bad precedent, and that people think, oh, if we can wait enough, we can get what we want. Well, it's so it's so weird. With I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about that when we do Sonic the Hedgehog because it has a sequel. Um, yes, like yeah. that's the one time when it worked. Like that movie is better for the changes that were made based on the fan backlash. But my God, we can't make movies that way. We can't. Yes. No. So that, that's a terrible way to make movies. You can't it's, count on it being the right decision next time. Oh, and it's also not the artist's vision. Um, I mean, like when people are like, release the Snyder cut, release the so-and-so cut. That's the cut. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, studio intervention. But other times, um, I mean, like a, a director's cut in some ways is like a rough draft. It's not yeah, the pe- complete. People on the Internet need to learn the difference between a director's cut and a work print. Exactly. Like the work print cut is not meant to be released. <laughs> no, I'm also I'm thinking of what um what Taika Waititi was asked, well, why don't you do director's cuts of your movies? And he said, Well, because all director nearly all director's cuts are awful. Yeah. No, I disagree with that, but a lot of them are unnecessary. Right. It right, and I'm thinking more of like in uh when D V D came out, more as a marketing gimmick than anything else. What did he have? Unrated versions, right? Oh, yeah, of course. American Pie, the unrated cut. This, 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 this. RoboCop was a big unrated movie. Yes. But that actually Um, made a difference because there's a lot more violence that was edited out. And oddly, having more violence makes some scenes play funnier than with less violence. Exactly. So, anyhow, yes. 
Um, well, let's move on to what you're watching. I was been on kind of a UFO kick, and I saw a movie on Amazon Prime that I had. The, the poster really attracted me as a kid, but I never rented the movie for whatever reason. So uh, I I watched Fire in the Sky. Oh no, shit! I just watched this like a week ago. Did you? Okay, yeah, yeah. yep. With the DB Sweeney, Robert yeah. Patrick. Robert then, Patrick, in fact, purposely took this after Terminator 2 because he was just being offered robot parts and he okay. wanted to, to play a real person. He wanted to rev some chainsaws with Peter Berg. Yeah. Even though he's, Peter Berg isn't in it. Oh, wait, he is, yeah. No, he is, he is. Yeah. James Gardner, I was surprised, was in this. Yeah, that was... And, what, I think the movie's having a resurgence because uh, Shout Factory came out with a Blu-ray recently. That oh, that it. could be, sure. And also there's... Um, Oh, what is it? The 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 guy on whom these ex- alleged experiences, you know, are, are the basis for the movie. Travis Walton is uh, still out there, and he says, "Oh, they're trying to do a remake of this." I think if you did a remake of this Fire in the Sky thing, you would do it as a miniseries nowadays. Oh, definitely. And uh, surprisingly, less of it is with the the aliens than you would think. More of it is kind of you know like small town mistrust, uh, and yet. When you see the alien stuff at the end, um, even though it's just like PG-13, like it's really disturbing. It, that stuff's really well shot. Yeah, the oh, alien yeah. the alien abduction scene is one of the most chilling things in 90s cinema. Like they, they everything is weird and inexplicable and you don't, under, you don't really understand what's going on outside of the broad strokes of general alien abduction mythology. And, and and that that is to to the movies that is to the movies credit those and those scenes are really impactful. Also, it's not that like it's not the typical like sterile, clean like this is like a fucking rusty, dirty, fucking wrinkly, goopy Cronenbergy alien ship. Like this isn't the like you know big eye, little mouth, freaking ET uh, close encounter ship. Like this is a fucking this thing's been bumping around the cosmos for a while, and it's a fucking it's a it's it's gross and it, it's uh i find amusing the cinematographer this bill pope later was the cinematographer for uh, the matrix oh that makes perfect sense and for um the, the same raimi film spider-man 2 and 3 and all kinds of things but that he did um this film and, and the alien stuff, I think he makes just because you're not expecting you get little flashes of it, but they don't. It's really smart how it saves it towards the end. And um, I, I did read some of the book of it, and the book is just kind of painful details of all the in and outs of what it means to cut down trees. <laughs> and like, the guy's clearly trying to pad it to be book length. So he goes right. into all this business about. Well, the government gives you a contract. You have this many days to do it. But we decided to, to double dip and do two contracts at once. <laughs> See, when you get so much rainfall a year, you have to cut from uphill to down. Pretty much. I mean, it. you know, you can see why they kind of made the choices and, and compressed stuff in this movie what, that they did. I think it's a funny bit of stunt casting. You have a young Henry Thomas, who is the boy in E.T., as one of the people here. Yeah, definitely. In, in in Fire in the Sky, although he does not um, have that much dialogue, really. He just sort of is kind of the most traumatized, I think, from the situation. 
Yeah, if I, I'd recommend watching Fire in the Sky. It's not just a relic of the '90s. It's it's really oh interesting. And if you want a great like double feature, uh, either before or after, I'm not sure which is best. There's an episode of In Search of that covers the events of Fire in the Sky, and they interview oh, the real people um, involved. And cool. in In Search of has this special way of making even the most bizarre subject matter. Uh, seem completely real and grounded in a strange way. Like it, it bridges reality and the fantastic. I, I absolutely love it. Leonard Nimoy was the perfect host. Right. I mean, I'm also I'll be continuing my UFO kick. I just started this other one last night, Communion with Christopher Walken. Oh, based on the Whitley Stryber novel. Yep. Yep. Oh. That one's on Free V, what used to be known as IMDb TV. Oh. <laughs> Coming soon to Quibi too. Yeah, I mean, there's a scene in there that should be an animated GIF where it's uh, he Christopher Walken plays a writer, and he gets angry with his '80s computer, so he starts like smack. He starts like punching the side of the monitor, <laughs> going like, "I got juice, I got juice, I need to write it down." <laughs> the Apple II of... isn't working. No, he says like, "I'm cooking, I'm cooking here, I'm cooking." Like, uh, he... It's a lot of. Does he like um does he articulate what he's writing as he's writing it? Like and then no. he looked to the door and opened it. What he saw shocked. He doesn't, him. but in his office for some reason he does have a video camera filming himself that then does live video playback. Uh, okay. All right. And it's uh allegedly when uh, they're making it, the the author Whitley Stryber, uh was concerned about Christopher Walken's performance and, and he was involved in the film and he said, yeah, do, do, can you tone it down some? You're making me look crazy. And Christopher Walken says, if the shoe fits. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I can totally see that meeting. And we've got Christopher Walken to be in your movie, Mr. Schreiber. Wow. He's going to make a great alien. Yeah. Yeah. About that. <laughs> right. And uh, one of the people Whitley Schreiber wanted to play that part uh, originally was Dan Aykroyd. Um, no, which figure. given Dan Aykroyd's obsession with UFOs, I think really could have been could have been something. Uh, could have could have been something special. Um, Thrasher, what have you been watching? All right, so this this is an alert for for B movie and cult movie fans. Uh, Death Spa was just po- posted to Tubi, so go to Tubi and watch Death Spa because that's what I watched. D- Death Spa is an amazing uh is an amazing uh horror movie that essentially can't decide its its premise it's about a series of murders that take place at a health spa in la a ridiculously over-the-top health spa where all of the equipment is controlled by a super advanced central computer is the central computer turning evil and killing everybody i don't know because every with every new kill the premise behind the movie seems to change. And when the movie finally settles on an explanation, it is an explanation that only raises more questions. <laughs> but you get to see some great 80s hair, some great 80s acting, some great 80s set design. I mean, the the interior of the death spa looks like Pee-wee's Playhouse. There is a psychic investigator. There's a paranormal investigator who's like a low rent Ray stands from Ghostbusters. <laughs> and he even goes around the premise with like a PKE meter. Like 
and, and also it, it like it like it was filmed in like 86 or 87 depending on which source you ask but like it wasn't released until the 90s <laughs> so many weird things had to happen to make this movie possible and some of the visual imagery is very inventive and very bizarre a lot of great old fashioned gore effects I, I, there, there, there are, there are multiple moments where I guarantee you will not be able to predict what's happening. Very interesting. Yeah, I do recall this poster on uh, the video store when I worked there. You'll sweat blood, death spa. Yeah, this is looks. Uh, I'm not surprised this was in the '80s when um, jazzercise and all these things. Uh, oh, when there were two too. extended jazzercise uh, montages. Uh, I to sell the soundtrack album or something. Yeah, I expect nothing less. That's quite something I'll have to keep an eye out for, for Death Spa. Uh, Alex, what have you been watching? Oh, well, um, I, did, I, I didn't I did give my uh, rating for Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, I'm sorry. And um, I will have to quickly just say I go with a sequel. No, it's got some good parts, and it's a, a theme of the Outsiders banding together against... Um, you know, uh, overwhelming conformity is, is interesting. Um, however, there's just too much weird rapey shit in there for me to really get behind it. Um, however, moving on to what you're watching, um, I recently watched a New Zealand movie called Smash Palace. Have you seen this? Have you heard of this? No. No. It's a really fascinating film um, from the early 80s. Uh, by this dude, um, Jeff uh, Lawrence, I want to say, Roger Donaldson, um, who was kind of all over the place. And it's got this great performance from um, New Zealand actor Bruno Lawrence. He, It's about a guy who revol- who's um, a race car driver, and he kind of supports his family with a junkyard slash uh, repair garage. And, you know, he's just kind of a blue-collar, schlubby dude. Um, you can tell his wife is kind of eyeing the door. He's really, but he's like, you know, he's a rough and he's a rough guy, but he's like, you know, a sweetheart with his daughter. Um, and then, you know, his wife decides to leave him, takes the kid away. And then things escalate from there. Once he finds out his best buddy is sleeping with his wife, it all sounds like a downer, but it's got like this great performance from Bruno Lawrence. And, um, because of this film, it was cited that this guy was Jack Nicholson's all-time favorite actor of all time. Hmm. That, uh, back, that, according to Jack Nicholson, that Bruno Lawrence is like the greatest living actor who ever graced the screen. Um, and, you know, you kind of think it's going to be this like kind of like, you know, uh, Paul Schrader-esque taxi driver, like, you know, revenge thing. But it's actually this very kind of like somber, uh, like chronicle of like, toxic masculinity and, and like the perils of, of fatherhood, I guess. Um, but it's a, it's a really interesting film about, uh, about the deconstruction of a modern family and the fraught relationship that exists between friends and family and so forth. Um, great film smash palace. I would check it out. Cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, you mentioned Jack Nicholson, He's kind of doing what um, oh, uh, Gene Hackman has been doing for a long time, where like he just hasn't worked in a while and just is enjoying his retirement. Which yeah, uh, I think at some level more people probably should do. Yeah, right. I think the 
um, there was rumors that there was going to be an American remake of Tony Erdman starring Jack Nicholson in the lead role, which I would have totally have seen because I like Tony Erdman quite a bit, but I don't think it's going to happen. I just, and you know, someone at Warner Brothers like is trying to pay him $16 million to appear as the Joker one last time for an extended cameo in some upcoming movie. But of course, Jack well, doesn't want to yeah. be in makeup, so they'll use CGI to like morph his face into the <laughs> Nicholson Joker face. God. It's you know it's funny you say that because after uh, Batman and Robin, uh, Schumacher wanted to do a another uh, Batman movie, in which the villain would have been the Scarecrow played by Nicolas Cage. And at one point wow. in uh, the Scarecrow hallucination, they got Jack Nicholson to agree to reprise the role as the Joker. You know, oh, I, wow. I believe I t- I talked about this like back uh back when we covered the batman franchise in 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 the olden days in the before time in the long long ago where jack nicholson had given like this was in part of a press conference had just given this cryptic had just cryptically said well the joker is back baby and he's not pretty and like well that explains it that he must have made that after he made that agreement but then that movie never materialized Womp womp. Right, I mean, because Batman and Robin, as people like to shit on it, it still made a decent amount of money, just not like Batman Forever money, which was insane. Yeah, that's uh, the irony. None of had... those movies lost money. They could have kept that franchise going. Would you say that it kicked ice? <laughs> hey, chill. <laughs> or cool what it. killed the dinosaurs? <laughs> the <laughs> Ice Age. <laughs> It's um, yeah, really one of those things. So it looks like we have a sequel scene here. Yes. Do you wanna, who wants to do what part? And then can you set this up, Thrasher? Uh, yeah, I'll do. Uh, I guess. Oh gosh. Uh, I'll I'll do a uh, Gilbert. Alex, what part do you want to do? Let's see. Gilbert, Sergeant, Booger. Sure, I do. I'll be bigger. Okay, I'll be sergeant. And uh, why don't you set this up, Thrasher? Sure. All right. So, so the scene. So this is after. Um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. This is after. Uh, I believe this is after the pigs were. Or no, this is this is very early on. The, the, this is after the jocks have done some horrible thing to the nerds, which probably is classified as a crime. And so they go to the uh, campus police, campus security, uh, and are for, for this college town and you know are are, are sh- shown the legal reality of their situation all right i do not know what this world is coming to see that man over there we arrested him for mopery well it's mopery mopery is exposing yourself to a blind person I'm sorry about your window fellas but uh, that's out of our jurisdiction it sounds like more of a fraternity prank but there's only one organization that can handle such matters. What is that? The Greek Council. Hey, no, not the Greek Council. I, I love, I love the International Greek Council in Springfield. I, <laughs> I love how readily the, the police are willing to just pass the buck. Yeah. In this yes. scene. <laughs> I'm yeah, also not sure that you even that. needed this scene to begin with. 
That's true. They could have gone straight to the Greek Council knowing that another fraternity was responsible for throwing the brick with nerds go home through their window. Yeah. Although I also like I love that I, I love that, that that's their their definition of mopery is is exposing yourself to to a blind person. And he's got like the pervy jacket on, you know, like how does that work? Did you like put did you like put it in their hand? Or do you just like say to them like I'm I'm flashing my genitalia toward towards you? Yeah, it's, it's your perversion closed caption. <laughs> yeah, I'm reminded a bit of a story I read on Facebook that it seems like it almost has to be, it's almost like too good to be true. It seems sort of fake, but it was a guy at a gym that was uh, told to to leave the gym because the way he was staring at women was making them uncomfortable, and it turns out the guy was blind. Oh, hey, here's here's something. Uh, so Mopery does actually have a legal definition, but oh, it's a purposefully vague legal definition. It is an informal mm. name for minor legal offenses. Ah, that okay. sort of grew out of like ordinances against loitering, because uh, like literally it means to wander aimlessly and to be bored and depressed. It's like um when you're watching Terminator and Michael Bean's like um taking that homeless guy's clothing. And you hear the police dispatcher really quick go, he's rabbiting, let's go. And I was like, what the fuck is rabbiting? And I looked up and it, it turns up it's a f- term meaning fast sex, like a fast sex act done in like an alley. <laughs> I was like rabbiting. I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? That's a pretty good term. I mean, I, uh, not that I live in a great neighborhood now, but I used to live in a neighborhood that just, we would get um, a lot of, just randos walking by the the house we were renting and once uh, uh, a couple decided to uh, go rabbiting as you put it uh, (laughs) on our front doorsteps to the house (laughs) and we kind of watched out the window in horror not because we were watching them really but because I had to take the dogs out and we couldn't go out the back right uh, with too much junk (laughs) to go out the back way of the house and it's like I'm not going to pick up my dog and, and kind of awkwardly go past two people. Yeah. Like, excuse me. Excuse me, sir. Yeah. Here. Why don't you have a nice pillow? Right. Yeah. It's actually less awkward to just sidestep the whole affair. Yes. And hope the, uh, Oregon rain washes away, whatever, um, comes of it. (laughs) So on that note, (laughs) next time, next time I'm having guest. Yeah, yeah, we'll be talking about Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. This came out in 87, so it took three years to come out. Fox uh, apparently was still pretty embarrassed at that first film, but it made a lot of money. So (laughs) when a new studio guy came in charge, they said, you know, one guy said absolutely no sequels. Another guy came in charge, said absolutely we're going to do sequels to things. And... uh, (laughs) Weirdly, Revenge of the Nerds 2 is directed by... Joe Roth, who's better known as an executive who founded, uh, co-founded Morgan Creek Productions and later founded Revolution Studios. Oh. So he got to, uh, as it says, they're back. I really don't like this poster. Um, apparently the script was so bad, a lot of the cast members like had to be talked to, to be in it. And Anthony Edwards tried to weasel out of it as much as he could. So he has a much diminished role. So it really is uh, 
you know, if you thought nerds were fun on campus, just wait till they go oh, to boy. Florida. Oh, yeah. I'm not looking forward to next week, but I'll talk <laughs> about why next week. <laughs> Fort Lauderdale, in case you're Ooh, wondering. Boy. The city. It's better than PC, I guess, Panama City. Uh, sort of the big spring break dungeon. Um, okay. <laughs> so uh, you can get to me on Twitter at MATWBT. Um, sometimes I'll stream at twitch.tv slash MATWBT. I'm trying to do news on the upcoming Return to Monkey Island game, but the news has been very, very slow. Wow. Uh, however, it seems like it's coming out pretty soon. So we'll see what happens. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at WT2Art. Uh, and I will also be running various LARP events at Gen Con. Uh, uh, it, assuming any of you are going to be there, just look for the Kettle of Fish Productions events. A lot of them are listed as sold out if you go to the event registration website. We always have a short list of secret characters. So if you can't buy a ticket, you we can still probably fit you in with generic tickets. Very good. And uh, Alex? You can find me on Twitter at CrabNebula1914. And you can also drop by my YouTube channel where, for a change of pace, I actually uh, recorded and edited a trailer commentary. The whole thing, the whole the whole venture that was uh, how it started out, not my usual weird bullshit. Um, it's a trailer commentary for uh, Olivier Assayas' Irma Vep. Um, a great film, and it's also been remade, or I guess rebooted, as uh, an HBO miniseries uh, by Olivier Assayas himself, starring Alicia Vikander and a bunch of other um, beautiful people. Um, check it out. Uh, the YouTube channel is called The Trailer Project, with uh, trailer commentaries by myself, as well as um, other weird experimental shit. Have any of you ever seen the play The Mysterious Case of Irma Vep? No, but it, there was a showing no. of it out in Berkshire County a while ago that I missed. Huh. It It is well worth seeing live. Sounds awesome. Great. So, uh, for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Well, this is Alex. Saying. Just join us, because uh, no one's really going to be free until nerd persecution ends. Nerd Burger in Paradise. Some lettuce tomato song with Jimmy Buffett.